This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Rose Cammy here. First of all, do you subscribe to Query? You should subscribe to Query. I promise you it helps us with our ad revenue. Hey, write a write a review. Write a five-star review after you've subscribed to Query. I also am excited about today's episode. It's a chat with Tyler Glenn, who's lead singer and keyboardist of the rap band Neon Trees. He came out um, at 30 and was raised Mormon, and we talk about a lot of that stuff and more. Great conversation. Please enjoy. And hey, subscribe. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Tyler Glenn. Um, I'm a singer and a gay man. And that's me. <laughs> Honestly, what else could be important to mention? That's tr- like truly love it, understood. To and, the point. Um, to the point. Yeah, exactly. Who is maintaining the sides of your hair right now? Me. Yeah. How is that going? Did you do that previously? Um, yeah, I got used to it like, you know, just in hotel rooms and stuff. Um, I've, I'm so sensitive about my hair. I don't know. I think it's because like... As I get older, I'm losing some of it in the front, so I kind of style it. So I'm, I just am, I trust myself to kind of give myself the high fade. <laughs> oh, that's super interesting. So like you're like leaning into it and making sure that you feel comfy as your like hairline changes. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you know, I think sometimes we can if we're doing like a music video or a photo, like oh, we'll have like a glam, and I've always been weird about. Them you don't want people to touch your hair? I'm like, I'm good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually like a very queer thing that I relate to a lot. Okay. I, You know, for me, I feel like, um, I know this is true for like a lot of folks that might be in like my identity spectrum. It's that thing of like, uh, when somebody else is doing my hair, I think that they think I want to look like a woman. <laughs> like, yeah, like, okay. I, you know, like, I think at the end of the day, they're like, no, no, I know, like, I, I, like, vaguely get what's going on, but then, um, but, like, have you considered curling it or, like, they or whatever? Fem, you know? fem it up a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Than, yeah. Um, and so I usually do my own hair, too. Uh, yeah. But then it's pretty cute because I do get the sense that, like, hair folks um, like what I'm doing. I always get, like, compliments on you it. Which makes hair. me feel Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's so that. nice. Totally. But it makes me feel um, good when somebody, it makes me feel good when I walk into a situation I feel like an oddball like walking into something like um and maybe folks don't even know what we're talking about so like you know if I'm gonna be on camera if you're gonna be on camera there's like usually people that help with hair and makeup so that we don't look like we're um monsters because (laughs) some of it is so high definition that um yeah there's like a whole team of people that sort of um make everything look like a lot more matte like less shiny or you know things like that um but yeah, walking into a hair trailer can always be a little bit of an intimidating experience for me because I, yeah. I go into like a sort of a middle school vibe where I'm totally. like, please accept me, you know, and then totally. it's always really nice when somebody says something positive in that I'm sensitive situation. about the makeup too. Like I've gotten a little bit like familiar with how I like my face. I've, I'm like, I kind of like my shiny cheekbones. Leave, stop, stop mattifying those. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. When when you were starting to do this job, did you ever think that we would be talking about how you like your makeup done? Did you? Like, is that something that you were previously invested in? No. Or is this like a weird surprise? It was a weird surprise, yeah. I, I always kind of played with makeup in a in a punk rock way. Like mm-hmm. and and especially as being on stages and slowly getting in front of bigger crowds or whatever, like I liked the idea of I always liked blending a bit of uh, 
androgyny or like a, a bit of like glam rock energy into early days of our of my band and performing so it was like I was playing with it but I don't think it ever looked good when I look back on it like I was one shade of foundation and like some purple eyeshadow isn't probably the best look when you when you go back <laughs> but that's really interesting to me too because you know I asked that question specifically because it's like in a uh I don't know what it is like to be in your world but okay. I do know that like some men or people who uh -huh. are opting for a masculine presentation yeah that our musicians still wear makeup. Like that's actually one of the only places where anybody who's like, I'm uh, I'm so masculine that like, look at how much eyeliner I'm wearing. That's just like a very specific yeah. thing that doesn't exist in like law firms or whatever. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that makes um, sense. Yeah, you know, so like, like guy liner. About, yeah, guy liner. Yeah, like I'm curious yeah. about um, stepping into that world and like whether it means something different if you do your job than it might be for someone else. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like I, I definitely starting out in, in professionally in the band and like hiding in music was like, I think it was a safe space for me because I wasn't out. I didn't come out until I was 30. And that was uh, probably four or five years into professionally being in the band. So I think I was probably more um played with gender and 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 like sort of effeminate clothing so to speak or glam uh a, a lot more than i maybe even do now like i feel more set in my present like i don't i have more of a beard i guess i i am presenting more mask than maybe i would have essentially in the band and i think a lot of that has to do with my own insecurity and in, in like who i was like i thought okay well i'm gonna hide in music but it's gonna be also this release for me and it, it became kind of like a I don't want to say like a prop or like a costume but it felt sort of like this I this identity was rock star Tyler but I don't know essentially how much of it was was truly me and, mm -hmm. and truly natural um so I don't know like it's been interesting to like navigate that and like I always used clothes as a kid as like as a as a way to hide as well except I was like looked like Robert Smith from The Cure like my hair was huge and I, I was wearing overly tight clothes and really into the punk rock scene so it oh, never made sense probably it was always like hiding in plain view in a weird way I guess like here I am trying to actively use music and counterculture to hide in that and not have to explain my sexuality and then all of a sudden I'm I think I'm still probably presenting to a lot of people as if I'm queer at least in the 90s and, and early 2000s you know it's a different time but that probably answered six different questions but yeah i, I, I went think on it's some a super tangents. interesting answer and i also it's it, that doesn't like that that makes perfect sense to me what you're talking about um that so so because you i also i like my mind pinged on the word hiding you know which i think you used a couple times so did you at the time when you were in like pre-30 were you experiencing that actively as hiding or is that just you looking yeah. back on it now no it was hiding um because i was i was seeking out like sexual trysts and sort of i was i felt like i was actively compartmentalizing identities it, it got to the point i think when i did come out i felt like i'm leading a double life that might be actually harming my my mental state you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so, yeah, and uh, most of my 20s, I look back at as sort of like a very, like, clever compartmentalizing dance. Like, you know, I and, and I used, I would use Craigslist and sort of just put myself in really start, sort of interesting situations that probably could have been harmful for me or harmful to my, I don't know my my soul maybe at the time too and but I was that I was using that as my a lot of it has to do with my my upbringing being Mormon a lot of it has to do with feeling like I had to hide um a lot of the messaging you know what was sort of like you can you can suppress you can change so I, I really leaned into that and um I don't know why because I also felt very like okay 
with myself being gay, I just was afraid of people knowing. I think a lot of it probably had to do with um, instilled homophobia of like not wanting to, you know, fear of having to be a certain type of person. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, like, it does. Well, I mean, I, I know that like, I don't know exactly how old you are. I'm 36. But, so, okay. So I'm 38. So we're not such a different age. And yeah. something that that makes me think of is like, um, you and I would have been raised around like homophobia morphs over time. Right. And so, and so does like transphobia. So it's not, it's always there, but doesn't, it's not always, not always the same coded language is used. And something that I know I heard a lot growing up that like, I don't really hear so much anymore. Maybe some people in some communities do is this idea of like, your private life is private. Like this sort of almost idea of like, okay, like cool being, being gay or whatever, but like, keep it to yourself. Like that was definitely something Exactly. It was also definitely something that like, like I think about somebody being a teacher or something. And then it wasn't that then it was like a, it was a way that the administration could get around firing them, you know, like, yeah. and I don't even just mean legally because people don't necessarily have legal, like legal protections. Like we're still working on that, but yeah. like morally the school could take this fake high ground by saying like, we don't care that you're gay but we can't believe you told your students about it. Like yeah. keep it to yourself. It's not your identity. It's that you're like foisting it upon us. I don't really hear this as much. Like, it's just like different, different uh, dog whistles have now prevailed. Sure. Um, but when I heard what you just said, that's like what made me think of is like our generation of people. It actually kind of makes sense that you could be like, no, I was fine being gay, but I just wasn't supposed to tell anybody, you know? Cause yeah. like, I feel that that was really a message we received. I, yeah, it, it probably, and then double down with like religiously too. So yeah, I, and I leaned hard into that. I subscribed hard to that. Like I was, I pictured my life like you'll come out late in life. It's no one's business. Um, it was actually not until I saw the the film Milk in the theater by myself where I just was like, you know, had an overwhelming sense of like, oh, it's it's actually important to come out, and it actually. Mm actually might not only help you, but it might help the people around you, you know, the people in your life. And I, for me, I've seen infinitely, it's seen my life infinitely change, like for the better. And, and the people in my family's life, like my mom thanks me for taking her on the journey, like things like that, where I would have never allowed myself to even go there. So, you know, for me, the power of like merging the two, lives or whatever like help really really fucking help me yeah i have many follow-up questions to everything that you're saying okay very like good and packed answers it's great okay um you went to see milk by yourself do you do you remember if you had this thought that it might help the people around you and help you do you remember if you had that while you were watching the movie like was it at you're in the theater yeah 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 i was i think it helped because i was alone i was at the grove Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I was, was just going to ask you, where were you? So you were at the Grove yeah. in Los Angeles. No one was there. It was probably the afternoon. Like um, a daytime showing? Yeah. yeah. I just like, okay, so at, it's like, like a daytime Pacific. showing. Yeah. Did you feel stressed out at all buying a ticket to that movie? Sure. Yeah. Which is a dumb, so dumb now to even think that way. But, you know, I had been oh. familiar with, sh- sure, at I the time I was like, for oh, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> compassion for that. Yeah. And uh, I had known who the story of, Harvey Milk, but I, um, yeah, I just went in. I, at the time I was seeking, I still am this way though. Like I, anything queer, like anything, like watching, um, watching Milk opened my eyes to like a lot of, a lot of just wanting to know queer history. Like I think it was important to me coming out, like wanting to know about ACT UP, wanting to really know about the, the AIDS epidemic you know, in the 80s and 90s, really wanting to know, like, the stories behind those people. And so, anyway, yeah, that that whole film is done so great. Um, but, you know, a main part of that film is is his sort of way of saying, no, you have to come out, you have to come out. Like, the power in that, the the representation in that. And for me, yeah, I did. I felt like a wave of, I think I was scared. I I think I was emotional. It was a lot of that. And, you know, at the time, for me, it, I think for a lot of us, it, it was rare to even just see queer stories anyway, 
in a theater or, you know, you really mm -hmm. had to seek it out. So, and that was in 2008. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I, I didn't come out though until 2014. So it wasn't right away. It was sort of this like, um, this slow thing, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I still, um, the last queer movie I saw in the theater uh, was Portrait of a Lady on Fire because that came out like right before um, all this. Yeah. Being at home time. And I went and saw it with my girlfriend. Um, and it was like an evening showing. And I had been seeing a lot of people that I follow on Twitter, or, like friends of mine were talking about it. And I showed up to the screening and it was at a theater in Los Angeles and it was, I think, like, I think it was even a weekend night, but we go, we go to shit early. So if it was like an early Saturday movie, like maybe it was like a six or something. Yeah. And um, almost all of the other patrons were these like older, um, like theater going looking straight people. Um, okay. I think because it's like, a, <laughs> it was like a, you know, French language film and maybe the time of day that it was. And um, I felt super, you know, I guess I'm just saying this story because it's like, I could still feel that way now. Like, I didn't feel so weird buying the ticket. You know, I wasn't like, portrait of a lady on fire, but don't notice anything. You know, like, I didn't <laughs> feel like that. But then when I walked into the theater and then, like, you know, got the seats and then, like, all these other people, I'm looking around, I felt, like, so, like, oh, are these people going to feel, what's everybody going to feel when this is on? Like, yeah. are they going to be thinking about, how this is like a sexual experience for me. I don't know. I'm just like, it, it's like, um, I think some of that stuff never goes away is what I'm saying. It just might look really different, but some of those feelings about, um, like I think of a movie theater as being such a perfect example of what, it, of, of like a, being a queer person tr trying to operate in a straight world because even queer movies are um, the ones that really break through are often like the audience's a, a straight sure. audience. I feel sure. like I've I've gone to see queer movies with a queer audience only during film festivals. Like it's a queer, like it's like a queer film festival, and then yeah, the audience is queer. But other than that, I still it's like feel I'm sitting there being like, does everybody feel okay or weird about me? You know, and it's like that's not even it, but it just is. It's a funny thing. I, I hear you. All of this internalized shit. It makes me sad too that I sometimes. I'll catch myself, I'll, I'll like make a joke even to like lighten it if there's a queer scene in a movie that I'm watching with friends and it's like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> if they're like straight or I don't know. It's always, sure. it's weird when I still catch myself like caving to some of that wiring, that wiring or whatever. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! You were talking about being raised Mormon, and we, were people fine with you um, becoming a rock star? Like, how do, how do, <laughs> how do, <laughs> right? <laughs> or what is your, what, what's sort of the trajectory of your relationship with that faith um, tradition? Like, <laughs> you know what? It's, it's interesting. Like, I grew up in, in Southern California, so. It wasn't like I was in the epicenter. Like I live in Salt Lake City mm -hmm. now, and that's pretty much the epicenter of of Mormonism, Utah. Um, but I I feel like I was raised in a in a family that was we went to church every Sunday and we participated in seminary and we 
did all of these very like active Mormon lifestyle things. We didn't, you know, we didn't drink and there wasn't drug use and things like that. There wasn't coffee. Um, so for all intents and purposes, we were a Mormon family and I just believed it was true. And I think I also loved rock and roll music. And since I was a teenager and my parents were really allowing of me to sort of kind of dress if weird, if I wanted to dress weird and get it, you know, would watch MTV with me instead of saying no MTV in the house. There was just sort of like a little bit of um, freedom in that space. And I went on a mission when I was 19 to Nebraska. <laughs> and that sort of like converted me, I think, unfortunately. And, and I say unfortunately, because I think before that, I kind of was like, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, I know my parents want me to be Mormon. But I think doing that mission for two years and like converting people sort of like it's the mission strips you of like any identity. Anyway, you're in a white shirt and tie, your hair is short. You kind of all look the same. So a lot of my um, identity felt like it was kind of, I could just kind of hide in this for two years. Let's find out what we're going to do. Always knowing in the back of my head, I want to be in a band. I want to figure this out. And I would like, I would daydream about that on my on my mission and slowly was becoming converted to Mormonism and got back and knew I wanted to do the band and ended up in Provo, Utah, where my guitar player had moved to go to school. And I think I just kind of like always in the back of my head enjoyed this identity or this like idea of like a little bit of fuckery, like, yeah, I'm Mormon, like, but yeah, I'm also into this. Um yeah, I don't drink and do drugs, but I, I'm i also, like, just as energetic and talented as this guy in this band. Like, I don't know, like, it was this kind of thing I liked playing, all the while knowing probably it had a lot to do with me being gay and not accepting, like, any of that, you know? And I, I think just slowly we're, we were finding success in the band. And I think Mormons are interesting where they they like when someone of their community becomes successful in secular things. Like they kind of like, a, they love a Brandon Flowers and the Killers. They love, they love when they found out Catherine Heigl was Mormon. Like Ryan Gosling may have been Mormon. There's just like these weird, you know, Mormons kind of like that, a famous Mormon, Donnie and Marie, things like that. So I don't think it's that strange to like be, be in entertainment and be Mormon. Um, and and even so, if, if you like bring it up in an interview, like we would in, in the beginnings, and we were kind of like that band that like looked like maybe we would be that type of band, but we actually weren't drinking or smoking. And I think Mormons liked hearing that. Like, I don't know, there was this sort of support system in, in the fan base from that. Um, and I always kind of loathed that too. Slowly as I was like, discovering myself and feeling guilt and knowing I was going against so much of like the theology. And um, that's when it got started to get really complex. But yeah, I think being a, a rock, a Mormon rock and roller or whatever you want to call it was, uh, was kind of okay. I think for some reason it always comes down to sex, like in the church, like you can't have sex, don't have sex before marriage. And if you're gay, definitely don't have sex. Like, so I don't think it had anything to do with like, oh, you're in on tour in a band, you know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't get any side eye from that. I don't think. Well, that, I mean, that doesn't, I didn't know that necessarily, but it doesn't shock me because I think about, um, I can sort of imagine what you're talking about. Yeah. Like I grew up Catholic. I don't think there's the same Catholicism is just so like, um, it's oriented so differently. Like it's yeah. not, it's not a group of people that are pushed out of society. It's been around so long and they've, they've just did such a good job of like colonizing yeah. and positioning land and all this stuff that it's normalized. So like a Catholic person doing anything is just, I think it's um, for me, when I think about what you're talking about, it sort of reminds me of, of like, I think about the same thing of, 
like in Southern California being like an evangelical Christian yeah. and th- and not being in like a Christian band, but like you're in some sort of different band, but like, Oh, also like, haha, you know, yeah. weekends I go to this church. Like, I think that's Big ups to I, Jesus vibes. Still, yeah, like exactly. Like, I think that's yeah. a whole thing. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, this also exists a lot in, I mean, it's very different, but it exists a lot for like black entertainers that are, that grow up in black churches. In that the are, church. That it's like a different, that's a different like political organization. So, you sure. know, whatever. When like Chance gets up and is like, Jesus is my number one. It's like, it's a, it's just, yeah. Anyway, there is a whole tradition that you're talking about of being yeah. like this secretly religious person that almost adds an additional appeal, I guess is what I'm saying from at so. least like a PR perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then certainly for other people within that faith tradition where Definitely. they're like, Oh my God, this person is, you know, also me. So I can understand what you're talking about, even though I don't think it's like something I was, um, I don't, I don't, I just don't think it like super exists in Catholicism. Um, there seems to be a little bit of space in, and look, I'm only projecting cause I'm obviously not Catholic, but space to sort of like, I don't know, like, yeah, sort of like not adhere to all the things. Is that, is that true in Catholicism? You, I know I've heard about Catholic guilt and, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people get excommunicated really. Am, am I wrong or, or get shunned from communities if you're not adhering to the, to the doctrine you know, and the rules? I think it really depends like community by community. For okay. instance, like in the community where I grew up, I mean, this is wild to think about, um, my friend, I had one of my closest friends, parents was, were divorced, like got divorced while we were in yeah. um, grade school. And like, we learned in school that that was wrong, you know, and she's yeah. like sitting in the class and then had to go to like an after school program for kids whose parents were divorced that I think oh, was wow. supposed to be a support program, but that was like, I mean, it was like announced, you know, like it was so, so I guess what I'm saying is I think that I just think it, I think Catholicism is it works in a really different way because of how old it is and because it came over here um, like via colonization. I just think it has a different resonance where familial tradition and people don't even realize if they are practicing. Like it's almost like, it's like a, like you're right. It's like the, it seems less strict until you break it down and, and then you realize, wait a minute, these people vote, they vote based on abortion access that's pretty extreme if they're voting against their own interests in other areas it's just like it's been part of the culture longer and so we like Mm -hmm. forgot where it came from in a certain way yeah um we're like i think for um mormonism it's like the the newness of it yeah make the traditions seem um, more shocking. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then there's also not a lot of space to sort of cherry pick what works for you and still call yourself a Mormon. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think also is like due to the the age of the thing in some ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's these are just my my thoughts, but I think no, it's, it, it I think it's really true. It's like yeah. Um. But you know, I. I want to go back to what you just said about like, it always comes down to sex and it's like, I mean, that's true in, that's true in the Catholic faith also, because, you know, even if you can like have premarital sex um, and not be excommunicated, um, if you went to Catholic school, you probably didn't get sex ed like Mm -hmm. at all. And you probably feel bad about it and you probably feel guilty about it. And then you're probably part of a church where, um, you know, that like sexual abuse by priests was hidden and condoned. And so like that, yeah, you might, you might think you're having like a less loaded experience because excommunication is not on the table, but it's still very loaded, um, in a different way. But I'm curious as to like, um, so in the Mormon church, if you are, this is my understanding. Can, yeah. can you tell me if I'm wrong? If the Mormon church in the Mormon church, you can be 
gay, be working on it and never act on it. Right. Like, it's like, it's not the identity that's wrong. It's the practice. Is that true or not? You know, it changes. Um, when I was growing up, um, it was called same sex attraction. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't right. call it. They would never. I think you would read homosexuality like in a talk or someone would bring it up and and that was like, you just felt icky when someone mm-hmm. would bring it, oh, that must be wrong. Like, But they would call it same-sex attraction to almost make it seem like it was a changeable thing. Um, right, right, right. And I, and I never had, because I didn't even bring it up to any of my leaders or family, and I never, I, it was a, never a thing I s- spoke about. Um, so I never had the opportunity to like, maybe go to a conversion therapy thing. But that I knew that those were things that were possible and like things going on in Utah. Like I know that there were a few kids from my congregation that had gone to something called, you know, Evergreen. Um, wow. So, what, can I ask you a follow-up question on that? Yeah, sure. Did they like, did you, did they like leave the community and come back to the community? Yeah. It was almost disguised as if like they were just going to get help. They were acting up or whatever kind of like a camp, uh, a go-away camp, kind of. But did you? Did everybody know what it was for? I didn't really. I think mm-hmm. I think some people did. Um, I I always, I had such a internalized, you know, shit that like I, um, I don't know. I was always like afraid to be found out until, until I found music. And then in high school, I was a lot more flamboyant, but I felt like I was hiding in that space. So I, I will say like, yeah, they, I don't think it's so much as you can be gay and just not act on it. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it has a lot to do with just like calling it something else almost. Uh-huh. And then it just doesn't, it's not really what it, what it, you're, what you're taught from the secular world. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I, I understand what you're saying. So it's yeah. not an identity. It's an attraction. Right, it's something that can just kind of change, yeah. That you can work on. And there's a more insidious thing where you could, they call it mixed orientation marriage, which isn't a thing, but it is a thing. Oh my God. Right. Oh my God, that actually, I should grab the sides of my temples. (laughs) Holy shit. Isn't that just wild? Yeah. And it's sort of an encouraged thing. I think it's different from ward to ward, congregation to congregation, leader to leader, but it's it's definitely a thing in the culture to like, no, marry, marry women, start your family, like, do the, be a father, like, um, it's just, you know, that ends up bad for everybody, it ends up bad for the woman, oh ends up bad for the family, like, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, do you also get the sense, um, I'm just hearing what you're saying, like, mixed orientation marriage, you were talking a little bit about, um, was this mostly in your understanding or like in, you, in what you've seen, is this mostly understood as something that was happening for men? Yeah. I feel like it's very male focused, honestly, and very, very focused on just the gay male experience. Not even, yeah. It, I feel like a lot of the sexuality and, and, you know, I think women just got taught to be chased little, you know, lily white, pure, virginal but i don't know if they receive i I would venture to say they didn't receive as much of the the language and messaging on sex as men do in the church and i think that solely goes with like patriarchal shit also in the church and um you know as a man in the church you're, you're given the priesthood and there's just so much more like honorable um trajectory for you which is you know so fucked up in a lot of ways anyway um but, uh, and so sex is such a, it's such a, it's such an overly used device in the church. Um, and the shame that comes with it and the, the shame with masturbation and the way you're taught about masturbation and sex where it's almost like it's, uh, I remember reading a pamphlet, you know, I'm 12 years old and re- reading a pamphlet in the church about, um, how you have, every man has a little factory and sometimes the factory produces too much product, but never make the factory produce product. Like, 
talking about touching yourself and wait isn't that wild (laughs) i know this is all real by the way i'm not no no of course yes of course this is real um of course this is real (laughs) well wow um yeah i mean actually you know that is true i mean uh people with penises do have a little factory um (laughs) that's true um yeah i mean i think like i i don't know that I guess it hadn't really struck me before, but as you were talking, I could just sort of hear in what you were saying um, that like, of course, of course people aren't even bringing up um, orientation for like women no. or, or people that are, you know, assigned oh, female. forget like, the trans experience. Like, yeah, exactly. Not even, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, but that makes me, I, I, that, that feels like, I've just that that's tough to think about for me because I mm-hmm. I know that um having children is like such a important at least from the out like my outside understanding of Mormonism that like having children is such a focal point like it's, it's not huge. it's not a thing where you can be like I'm Mormon and I just opt out of having children like yeah, my understanding I mean, is that's not really it's not really and I, it, you'd you'd get looked down upon or there would be sort of a what's wrong yeah. with them kind of thing so yeah it's really intense for me to think about um you know for anybody that might be uh oriented like myself that they're just um having somebody's babies that's really intense to think about um wild yeah yeah and uh um and i well i want to get back to i want to go back to um yeah you're coming out um and well actually maybe we'll just acknowledge because i do i do you identify as a cisgender person yep. yes right yes but i just just because you mentioned it i would like to just say that the thing that you were saying about never like forget the trans experience like that is just that's a um a whole identity that in the Mormon church is like, you can, you like, you're definitely excommunicated without a path to return. If you have any gender affirming surgery, it's the, something sur- I like. it's the surgery. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think you can acknowledge, I think you're even at this point in the culture and I haven't been to church for years. Um, but I think you're even allowed to be presenting and clothing of the gender that you feel you are, but I don't like, I think once you take the steps to sort of confirm that, I think it, that's when it gets dicey as far as membership and, um, and all that, which is, it's my, my whole feeling on it is like, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like are, are, you know, I'm part of this, um, organization called Love Loud and, um, I, you hosted it one Mm -hmm. year for us, which Mm -hmm. was, which was fantastic. But uh, I think there's been this messaging that we've been trying to do where it's like, don't throw out your LGBTQ kids. Like there are options, which is an incredible message. But when it's, if it's up to me, like, I'm just like, it's not safe for anyone queer. I'm sorry. Like I just, I know how many years I wasted sort of just living even in the middle space where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm Mormon or I'm picking the things that work, but like, it just really is, is a negative place to be if, if you're queer. Um, and until they make steps to even like, you know, beyond some, some of this PR language they've done in recent years, if, until they abolish certain policies and take certain um, language out of like policy handbooks for leaders, it's like, it's still all there. It's still the same stuff. Um, and I just think it's a negative toxic space for anyone that's queer. Well, I really and appreciate you sharing that stance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, but that's okay, my, so my opinion and not the opinions maybe of some of the, the organizations that I'm a part of, but yeah, but that's your, opinion. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you know, you're 30 and you're trying to figure out coming out. Um, were you talking to friends? Were you talking to business partners like how did that progress through your life yeah I it's sad like I would have I would have 
friends I would call that I'd never met before, but just met online. I remember my friend Max Green, I haven't talked to him in years and years, was just this like older man that I just ended up having this phone relationship with in my early 20s. And I remember just saying a lot of things to him. Um, you know, it was it, the people I came out to in my 20s were the, the men I would meet online. And then, and like half the time it was like, there wouldn't maybe even be a sexual thing that happened. It was more like, I just found somebody to, to speak to. It was such a lifeline at that time. Um, but it makes me sad when I talk about it because it's like, I hope I didn't tokenize those people or sort of like, I probably did. Like they were probably, you know, sadly I didn't maybe at the time see them as real because I was compartmentalizing as well. Um, so those were the people I would talk talk to, but I there was never one, anyone in my life till I started telling, I told my a producer of our third album, and that album also started, had a lot of like identity themes in, that I hid in the songs and sort of like, I, I, I didn't actively come out on it, but a lot of the, those songs on that record are about my identity crisis. Um, and so I came out to my producer, was like the first person in my life. And he um, shocked me because he was like, congratulations, I'm so happy for you. And I was like, what? I was like, are you kidding? Like I never... I'd never up until that point associated um, anything good or good or a trajectory of like mm. hope. And it was like, oh shit, like now this feels really good. <laughs> He's like, yeah, go move. To, you need to move to Palm. He's like immediately like move to Palm Springs and <laughs> live your life. Like go to a circuit party. I was like, what? <laughs> like, this is, thank you for being encouraging. Um, and I, I remember like wanting to tell people on like strangers on the plane, like, <laughs> I'm like, calm down. This is no one's business. Um, and then you're, I saw, I saw, I, your face just changed so much when you're talking about that. It's yeah. pretty cute to see. Oh. Um, yeah. You said like this huge smile and you seem really lit up. So it's like very, very cool to see you sort of relive that moment as you're saying like what this person, how this person received you. It you're changed like, my life changed. in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just that think about, I don't want to say 29 years because like, I've, but think about how long it, how long you're just living and, and there, it takes so much effort to not be yourself. It takes so much effort to sort of, I don't know. It's so exhausting. Um, so I just, it, it was like this immediate, like, I don't know, uh, a weight lift, you know? And then I remember telling my mom, we were on like a trip visiting some family and on the way home, it was like on the way to the airport or something after that, a couple, I think it may have been a couple weeks after I told my producer and um, she was really, really nervous for me. Like, like a mother would be just sort of like, I don't want you, people to hurt you. I think her only access to, to anything sort of homosexual or gay or whatever was uh anyone that she knew in school and then sort of like anyone in the culture at the time. But um, I didn't really receive anything negative, which was great. I slowly just started to tell my band. Um, I would tell, I told some, some of my management eventually came to where I wanted to, to, to make a statement. I, you know, and I um, came out in Rolling Stone magazine and story, which is kind of sounds showy, which, but, uh, I really want to be able to like have a place where I could just say it once and say the story. And the person that wrote it, um, her name's Karen Gans. She's a now a writer at New York Times, and um, she's a queer one herself. And she she gave me so much space. She came out to Utah for like four days, and like she could have totally bashed the Mormon thing, and like the fact that I was still at the time coming out as gay, but also trying to be Mormon, which was really complex. And probably 2014, it was after the Mitt Romney stuff. It was like, people really were down to make pot shots at Mormonism. And so like, here's this guy in a band saying he can be gay and Mormon. I, I think I probably looked dumb to a lot of people, but it was really, really cool that this 
really progressive liberal lesbian writer was like really, really careful with the story. And um, I came out and then, and then I kind of tricked myself for a couple of years going like, I'm happy now. This is great. And then when you start to live your life openly without a ceiling and you realize there's still things holding you back and there's still negative, negative language and messaging being told to you by the faith you believe in. I, you know, that was, I think leaving the church was harder for me than coming out, I guess is what I'm leading, leading to. Um, but now sure. I'm infinitely happier not being a part of any of that. It's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Um, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. So the time when you were in the, when you were in the space before you were out and you were happy and you were either talking or hooking up with people yeah. that you met on the internet, did they know who you, did you have an intimate enough relationship with them where you talked about what you did? Did they know who you were? Slowly. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Cause like half of my twenties, I was just an, a guy in a band trying to make it. And then we started to make it, um, when I was like 26 and then slowly, you know, we're on, we got, we did a lot of public things that, that first record, like we were on TV. And so, yeah, I, I started to realize like, Oh, like there could be a possibility people know who I am. Um, and then I, I, it was scary, but I, I also felt liberated by, it, it was weird. Like, um, I almost wanted to be find out, found out at some points. Like it was almost like, I hope someone sees me bringing someone to my hotel room right now. Like that will just make it easier. Mm. Or reckless logic, I think, is what was going on. Uh, the, oh, I mean, I don't know if that's reckless or if that's seeing a problem and like asking anyone for help. <laughs> like you're just sure. like, is any you know, like it, it might be reckless. It also might be an indication of like how of the difficult situation that you're in and yeah. attempting to sometimes when we're in a different a difficult situation, I just have found in my life that like I've made choices that um, forced an outcome that I was not able to choose mm. myself. That's probably so where, I could, where I was. I can see that <laughs> as being like, uh, you're like, you know, <laughs> just like, Yo, someone help me out here. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that as a, as a possible option. Um, so did you, and for the these actual like dudes, did you ever have any sort of conversation or did anybody ever bring this up? I mean, were you hoping that one of them would? Or were you scared or did any of that feel um, there for you? Or just so fucking jazzed to be talking to someone that wasn't even on your A mind? lot of it was just <laughs> j- jazzed and yeah. You know, not to be like totally base and crass, but a lot of that hookup culture too, at least on the, the Craigslist culture, was there any of that in in your experience or was it mostly a male, a gay man? Thing? It's not really a thing. I mean, I think, yeah. that, I think that for, I don't know how, here's what I don't know what it is like now, okay. is like being a young person who's like on the, lesbian or queer like non-binary um trans there's sort of like this big sort of artsy community that like encompasses a lot of that different um like it's like a lesbian plus identity and i know that those people are on apps and i have no idea how that has changed hookup culture sure because it's like a little bit you maybe have um, some basic validation of who this person is, but I thought about this a lot. Like, why doesn't this exist for, uh, like, you know, we, we, we haven't, we haven't historically had like bathhouses. Yeah. I think that some of it is how we're cultured, but I also think another thing is like, it's a primary safety issue. Yeah. Not that that doesn't exist for men, but I just think for, if you're cultured female, it's like so built into you, you cannot get away from it. The idea of like, wait, I'm going to meet somebody where? Because I also, as a comic, like as a stand-up comic, you know, like the number one thing that I always feel like completely out of the conversation is like if it's a bunch of, like suddenly I'm in a room with a bunch of dude comics who are like 
talking about an experience of touring that I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, I just, <laughs> yo, I go home. Like, like yeah, there's yeah. not, it's not, it's not like that for me. Like, and it's not because people haven't showed up and been interested. Been but down. It's, just yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't know. But I, what, what is the, tell me your, I guess what your I, experience is different. I, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just like, and I, I think this is bullshit too. Cause I don't, I don't like to say like, Oh, it's got, it's guys, you know, it's a man. That's what a man does. Like, I think there's plenty of men that like, you know, aren't ruled by their penis. But I think, uh, I don't know. There's just this like uh, anonymity, at least during, during that time where you just would show up to someone's hotel room door and, <laughs> and things would happen. It's so weird. Like weird looking I, back on it, actually. It's reckless. That's reckless. <laughs> Maybe. Well, it's I don't know. funny to me because like, I guess I hadn't, I like, wasn't really, I'm like, appreciate you placing it in context. Cause yeah, it's like, you're like in a band, but this person is probably like a married. That was the, from other, the suburbs uh, or whatever. Like I just, when thing. I think about a Craigslist hookup, I think <laughs> about like that maybe, 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 maybe everyone involved has something going on in their life. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like that's true. not what the internet is like now, but like, like right. everybody is meeting this way, but, but at the time you're talking about, <laughs> it's a different vibe. It's like, people yeah, who are like, well, and especially in Utah, I mean, if I was hooking up locally, um, unfortunately the culture I think anywhere that where there is an overarching uh, religious or conservative culture, there's going to be that underbelly of people still needing to express themselves. And Craigslist was just this perfect storm of that during that last decade or whatever. And um, but yeah, there were a lot of that's something I've had to wrestle with morally, and also as I'm rebuilding my moral views on my own without a, an attachment to the a faith expression is like um, I've I've been a part of home wrecking if you want to go there you know I've been a part of sort of maybe not, that's an extreme way of saying it but I've I've had to realize like I've participated in things that could have affected other people's lives in, in a bigger way and I think that's another part of coming out was I was desperate to sort of be accountable I guess does that make sense like I think I was got so used to just like filing it away after I did it um, mm. which is no way to live. And it, I think it starts to bleed into a lot of aspects in your life if you're not living an accountable life. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, it sounds like you feel badly about that. And so like, yeah, I have certainly done things in my life that I feel badly about. And like, that sucks. Like, I think we, I think yeah. we often uh, think about it maybe as if it's getting away with something, but yeah. I don't think as humans, we get away with anything. Like, I, no, you no. Know, I you know, you know, you always know what you did and like, totally. and it will affect you or somebody yeah. or something down the road, down the line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's also super, I think what you just said is, is sort of always when I come back, what I come back to when I think about um, faith communities having an opinion <laughs> on uh. limiting sexuality of any type, like, limiting sexuality um, to, you know, only marriage or limiting sexuality to only heterosexuality or limiting um, like, or, you know, priests must be celibate and unmarried. Like, I think that there, it's possible to have any, you know, celibacy can be healthy. You know, it's not healthy is, forcing it and Forced. never speaking about it with the people that are affected, like totally. not having counseling then available, you know, like I just think, or, you know, it's, you know, waiting till marriage can be healthy. And what is not healthy is providing people with no tools so that they're just on their own. And I yeah. think that like, so often that's what a faith tradition is doing when it's saying like only this expression of sexuality and also of gender, like only this expression is okay it doesn't eliminate that. It just means people are dealing with it on their own and in shame. Yeah. And not just in a queer experience. Like, and I, I don't want to talk about straight sex cause that's gross, but um, I've seen it affect like my siblings like, getting married yeah. too early because, you know, I don't know. It's, it, 
it, it's kind of fucked up for everybody when it, when you're, you're right, when you're suppressing and sort of minimizing and controlling someone's natural urges. I think, I, I think there's things that are good about having self-control. I don't, I wouldn't, I would, I, I'm a sex positive person. At the same time, I look back on my life. I'm like, maybe I didn't have to f- have as fragrantly hooked up in my twenties <laughs> like that. I don't know. Well, I don't I have don't a feeling on that. Self, I, I feel like I don't know that. I don't know that self-control and sexuality need to be linked the cool. way that they are, because it could be like, it could be conscious choices or greater agency. But I just feel like, you know, again, being somebody who's raised in like very conservative household in a faith tradition, it's like, I think self-control is like a, self-control is like not calling the person who has like openly hurt you. Like that's self-control. Self-control isn't um, learning how to not have desire. Totally. And I think that that's, I think that that's sort of where it's like self-control can sometimes have, it can relate to actions as opposed to relating to emotions and urges. And I think that that's like, a, like that. the difference that we're talking about. Yeah. And um, wow. Well, believe it or not, we're like sort of there. near our end of our time. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, well, I want to, I'm going to ask you about a queer, a queer in a second, but you said, you know, you said you're super happy and like, you know, feeling free. And I guess I, I wanted to ask you about your life now. Like what does your life look like? now anything that you wanted to say about that because we've spent so much time on you know these but what does your life your life look like now i mean apart from what's going on in the world and before 2020 my you know but my life um my life as far as just like my existence i'm i'm this sounds extreme but i used to just kind of go like be very like careless with with my life and I I'm way more careful about how I lead my life. I don't want to die. Does that make sense? Like I don't, I don't, I'm not worried or I am more we're actively worried about like um, wanting to have long- longevity to see the end of my life versus like, I think before I always had this notion of dying early might be better. Or like when my parents are gone, who else is going to, they're going to be to live for really like probably sad macabre things to say out loud, but I didn't have a lot of reverence for my own life. And I do now, like I, um, so that's a good thing. And I think that's also just affected, like, um, learning to have boundaries. Imagine that. (laughs) That's really exciting. Like, imagine it. I mean, I truly am trying to. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not an ace at any of this, but it's just like, I don't know, like, um, Having just having some language and and understanding about who I am as a as a queer person outside of like weird filters that I lived my life through like Mormonism has doesn't have an an ill an ounce of teachings on what it's like to be a queer person in the world you know um, but not to just blame Mormonism I think there's just like so many religious expressions that don't have room for that. And I have found joy in being gay and, and being queer and actually looking at it as like, and this isn't to prop myself up in some self-aggrandizing way, but it's, I, I look at being queer as special. I look at, I want to know more about it. I want to, I want to prop myself up in those places. I'm tired of self-deprecating that side of me. Um, so I'm finding more, strength and confidence in that. I think those that's where I'm at in my life, in my personal life. I'm also getting to write music and live my dreams. And we just put a record out and it's weird because it's 2020, we can't tour on it. But those things are, I think, affecting everybody, like mm-hmm. those normal things. But I, at a base level, I'm like really finding joy in, in understanding myself. Um, so, yeah. Wow. I, I'm... I'm very happy to hear that that's where you're at. And I I just really love talking to you today. 
Me too. Um, before you head back into your day, I wanted to ask you to shout out a Quiro, which is a person, place, or thing made you feel like you could be who you are today. I mean, my it's probably a twofold. My immediate goes to uh, to Harvey Milk, which is um, I just I think being introduced to his story and his compassion and the way he the way he got into rooms and melted hearts that others couldn't at the time is really profound to me. I I always felt like he he represented someone that made it really freeing to be, you didn't have to be that way or that way or that way to be queer. And I liked, I liked the way he talked about that. That always gave me hope. And then, I mean, I've written them because they're friends of mine now, but um, Tegan and Sarah are like, like pioneers in my book <laughs> in music. And, um, you know, I, they were, they were right. Like I'm writing about openly queer love now in the last two records I've written, but they were writing about that, you know, in 2005, 2003. And that was very, very important to me to hear those things as someone that was struggling. Um, so those are, those are the people that come to mind. <laughs> that awesome. are heroes of mine, for sure. Yeah. Well, it was such a good time talking with you. I yeah, really I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>